Okay, everyone, I hope we only have to do this podcast once because it is Groundhog Day. <laughs> Today is February 2nd, Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, it is officially Groundhog Day. And if you are listening to this podcast after 7 a.m., you will know whether Punxsutawney Phil the Groundhog in Pennsylvania actually saw his shadow or not. According to tradition, when a groundhog sees its shadow, that means six more weeks of winter are on the way. If there is no shadow, that means an early spring for what it's worth. And there are groundhogs across the country emerging. Some cities do different animals, Jill. But the official one, Phil, who we all look to for some unbeknownst reason, uh, has an accuracy rate of 39% over the last 135 years. That's when the modern tradition started, which means Phil is only right less than half the time, like less than a coin flip, if you can believe that. On the other hand, here in New York, Staten Island's hometown groundhog, Chuck, has an 80% accuracy rate. That dates back to 1981, according to Staten Island Zoo caretakers. So definitely look for Chuck today. Uh, We should note, Chuck is a wild one. He um, bit Mayor Bloomberg's hand. And then he, there was a whole snafu with Mayor de Blasio as well. Yeah, back in 2014. Uh, and it's not been the same Chuck over the last 40 years. You know, the, the, there's always a new Chuck anointed in Staten Island. In 2014, Mayor de Blasio was holding up Chuck, dropped him, and then Chuck died. That version of Chuck died. Um, and so that was a major controversy for Mayor de Blasio, where everyone's like, dude, you killed the groundhog, Mayor de Blasio. So he died three days later. And so the official word was that it had nothing to do with the fact that the mayor dropped him. But obviously, Mm. a lot of people made that connection. Yeah. uh, de Blasio left the city not very loved by the left or the right or groundhog lovers. Um, So I think a lot of people were like, yeah, maybe they didn't draw a connection there. But de Blasio definitely killed Chuck. Anyway, Chuck, stand on Chuck today. Look out for that prediction. 80% accuracy. Punxsutawney Phil, 39%. All right, let's get to some headlines here. An ice storm in the south has crippled the area, leaving hundreds of thousands of people without power. Meanwhile, in the northeast, winter is coming. Somehow, Mosh, that's the first time we've used that line on the podcast so far. Tyree Nichols has now been laid to rest. We'll tell you about the renewed push for police reform. The Fed raising interest rates again, but for the first time indicating that its plan to cool inflation has started to work. On the inflation beat, some good news. Egg prices are finally coming down. We're going to break down the numbers. President Biden wants to cap late fees on credit cards. A new name in the race for president on the Republican side. And former President Trump will not be too happy about it. Tom Brady is retiring again. He says this time it's for good. So what's next for the quarterback? Speaking of Groundhog Day. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And Beyonce announces a massive world tour. But Mosh, will any of us actually be able to get tickets? That's the question. Big question. The beehive is on it. Okay, let's start with the weather. A deadly ice storm slamming parts of the southern United States from the southern plains to the mid-south, while the northeast is getting ready for some serious cold. Freezing rain and sleet continuing to pound parts of Texas, Arkansas, and Tennessee, with ice accumulating on trees, power lines, and roads. Some areas are seeing up to a half an inch of ice. 
At one point, there were nearly 300,000 power outages in Texas. Officials say at least six people have died on slick roads in the state, and two law enforcement officers have been seriously injured. The National Weather Service in Fort Worth is strongly advising residents to stay off the roads, tweeting that they are going to be virtually impassable. More than 2,200 canceled flights across the U.S. so far. American Airlines and Southwest are seeing the highest number of cancellations. Ice over this region is expected to end by late morning as temperatures warm back up above freezing. Yeah, the big issue in the south is they don't treat the roads down there like they do in the north. Uh, But now as these ice storms are becoming more commonplace down there, I imagine they're reconsidering uh, their budgets. But I did hear from some people in the south on Instagram, Jill, who are like, just let everyone know in the north. It's not that we don't know how to drive down here. It's that it's literally just all ice on the roads and they haven't treated them. So your message has been heard, everyone. Meanwhile, Jill, you mentioned the system we're expecting in the Northeast. A polar vortex is expected to dip down and bring record low temps to the area this weekend. Wind chills ranging from negative 20 down to negative 50 degrees uh, can be expected when you wake up on Saturday morning. Up in Maine, they're going to be in the negative 50s. Some areas haven't seen temperatures like that for at least 30 years. Experts remind everyone that you can get frostbite and hypothermia in just a few minutes when the temps are that cold. At the same time, snow finally fell in New York City to the point we could measure it. On Wednesday morning, the National Weather Service said they could officially measure just under a half inch of snow in Central Park. That's where they keep these city measurements. What that means, this is the latest first measurable snowfall for the season since record keeping first began in 1869. First time it's taken until February for us to get our first snowfall in New York. But a reminder, it'll be super cold this weekend, so uh, we're hoping everyone stays warm in the Northeast. And uh, there is some good news for those of you in the South. It will be going above freezing in the next 24 hours. Yeah, here in the Northeast, don't forget to pack your long johns, Mosh. That's the key line they make sure to train every local news reporter on, <laughs> right, Joe? I used to always just carry hand warmers. You know, mm-hmm. that you would use, I think skiers use them and stuff, and, and I'd put them in my boots, and I, I would just have them everywhere. Moving on, most 29-year-old Tyree Nichols has been laid to rest. His funeral Wednesday at the Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church in Memphis was delayed a bit because of that weather that we were mentioning in the first story. Nichols died on January 10th, three days after a traffic stop that turned into a brutal assault by five officers who are all black. They have since been fired and charged with second-degree murder. In attendance at Wednesday's funeral, Vice President Kamala Harris, along with the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and families of other victims of police violence. By the way, Breonna Taylor and Tyree Nichols share a birthday, actually. Hmm. Reverend Al Sharpton gave the eulogy and then asked the vice president to speak. She told the crowd and the Nichols family, we mourn with you and the people of our country mourn with you. She also urged Congress to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. It passed the Democrat-controlled House in 2021, but failed in the Senate. Nichols' death has revived calls for Congress to reconsider police reform, although the House is now in Republican control, so it's not likely that any legislation will actually make it to the president's desk. There are plans for the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, Stephen Horsford, to meet with President Biden about police reform. He told NPR that he wants to know what more we can be doing from an executive action standpoint, adding that he thinks Biden can be a key player in negotiations. Jill, I was watching some of that service on Wednesday. It was really powerful. And in particular, um, his mom, Rovan Wells, 
who said, I really believe my son was sent here on an assignment from God. Then somebody in the crowd then replies to her and says, he will change the world. And she said, yes, he will. Yes, he will. We need that police reform act to be passed by Congress. Just a reminder on that George Floyd Act, it would do a number of things. Apparently, is being tweaked now uh, by uh, a couple members of Congress. As of now, that bill includes a few things, including limiting qualified immunity policies that protect officers accused of misconduct from lawsuits. Uh, it would create a national registry of sustained disciplinary actions against officers. So if police officers move from department to department, uh, they can track uh, any officers who committed violations uh, or had issues in the past. It would also ban chokeholds and limit no-knock warrants at a federal level, uh, among several other measures. So, But as you mentioned, with Republicans controlling uh, the House and a very slim Democratic majority in the Senate, very unlikely that that will pass at this point. Uh, Al Sharpton was also up there, as you mentioned, giving his eulogy. I was struck by a few things that he said, including his criticism of the officers who have been charged in Nichols's death. He insisted that race is still a factor here in their treatment of him, even though the officers are also black, saying, quote, I believe that if that man had been white, you wouldn't have beat him like that. Sharpton went on to say people had to march and go to jail and some people lost their lives to open doors for you. Speaking to these police officers, how dare you act like that sacrifice was for nothing? At the same time, we continue to learn new details from the investigation into the officers. We're learning that four of the five Memphis police officers who have been charged, had prior violations at work. According to personnel records, four of the officers had been reprimanded or suspended in the past for failure to report when they used physical force, failure to report a domestic dispute, or for damage sustained to their squad cruiser. So apparently they were not fully transparent with what had happened during previous incidents. What we do know is that those cases were not about whether the officer's use of force in the past was warranted, but merely about filing those reports. Either way, there are questions as to their conduct in the past, and we'll continue to bring you details as we learn them. Okay, we have a lot more news to get to in the podcast, so stick around. But we have a couple of new partners who are starting out with us this week who are advertising now with the Mo News Podcast that I'm really excited about. I want to start with Apostrophe, which is an online platform that connects you with expert dermatology teams that help you get customized treatment for your unique skin. It really is very convenient. Apostrophe connects you with virtual derm consultations where they can address everything from acne to dark spots. We all know that getting a dermatology appointment can sometimes take a while. I know I have found that. And Apostrophe is really simple to use, can be done from home. You answer several questions, snap a few selfies, and then a board-certified dermatologist will create an initial customized treatment plan for you. And what's really exciting is that Apostrophe is offering a special deal for the Mo News audience. You can get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash monews. You'll also get a discount on medication. Again, to get started, apostrophe.com slash monews. That is apostrophe, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash monews to get started. And you'll get your first visit for only $5. And here's another really exciting advertiser who's just joined us on the Mo News podcast, Blinkist. It's an app that I've been using for more than a year now as a quick way to get summaries of books I've been meaning to read or a refresher of books I haven't read in a while. It's essentially audio Cliff's Notes. You remember Cliff's Notes? What Blinkist offers is a summary of a book in 15 minutes or less. I like to listen to them on my commutes or while working out. Right now, Blinkist is offering more than 5,500 summaries of books and podcasts, and it really ranges topics, politics, parenting, leadership, investing, and communication. 
Blinkist provides curated collections, expert-led guides. It helps you grow a little bit more every day. And I know some of you are voracious readers, but sometimes you see those books in the bookstore or at the airport where you're like, you know what, that would be some really useful advice, etc. Blinkist is really good at those leadership style books, communication books, etc. And the selection continues to grow. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for the Monews audience. You can head to Blinkist.com slash Monews to start a seven day free trial and 25% off of Blinkist premium membership. That is Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, like in a blink, Blinkist.com slash Monews for 25% off and a seven day free trial. Again, audio Cliff's notes. It's really, really practical and helpful. Check it out today. Time now for the speed read. Let's start with the economy from CNBC. As expected, the Fed on Wednesday raised its benchmark interest rate by a quarter percentage point and gave little indication that it's nearing the end of this hiking cycle that takes rates to a target range of 4.5 to 4.75 percent, the highest since October of 2007. The move marked the eighth increase in a process that started in March of 2022, By itself, the funds rate sets what banks can charge each other for overnight borrowing, but it also spills through to many consumer debt products, things like credit cards and car loans. We hope here that there's light at the end of the tunnel. The Fed has indicated that they may take interest rates up to 5% or just above 5%, but weren't looking at going higher than that, especially as inflation starts to calm down. The reason why they keep doing this and they have continued to hike interest rates is they were a little behind the eight ball when it came to inflation in 2021. So they started to finally hike things in 2022, and they're still doing that. Uh, And though inflation is slowing, it's still running at the highest level since the early 80s. The post-meeting statement by the Fed did note that inflation has eased somewhat, but remains elevated. The Fed chair, Jerome Powell, spoke after the meeting saying, we can now say, I think for the first time, that the disinflationary process has started, while also noting that it will be premature to declare a victory or to think we really got this. Again, the Fed feels a little burnt because they relate to the game here. So they're going to be very cautious uh, before they stop raising interest rates or, lo and behold, lower them at some point. Uh, By the way, a story we've covered a lot on the podcast and also on the Instagram feed, egg prices finally starting to come down per Axios. Weekly egg price information from the U.S. Department of Agriculture shows that the average price of a dozen eggs is down more than 40% from its December peak of about $5.30. So a dozen eggs now costs uh, just about three bucks. Yeah, that's the national average, though. I did get notes from people saying like, where is it $3? It is still 6 or $7 where I live. Jill, can I say it? I'm ecstatic. That is excellent news. <laughs> I purposely didn't do any egg puns, but um, oh well, you have um, no self control, Mosh. I like it. Jill. What can I say? I'm excited. <laughs> okay, moving on from NPR, a revised curriculum for a new advanced placement course on African American studies downplays some components that drew criticism from conservatives, including Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who had threatened to ban the class in his state. And the official framework made public on Wednesday topics like Black Lives Matter, slavery reparations, and queer theory are no longer mandatory subjects to be taught. They are included, though, on a list of topics that states and school systems could suggest to students for end-of-year projects. The rejection of the course by DeSantis, who is looking to run for president next year, stirred new political debate over how schools teach about race. Officials in Florida last month said that the course promotes the idea that modern American society oppresses black people, 
which officials said was inappropriate and uses articles by critics of capitalism. A spokesperson for DeSantis saying that the state education department is now reviewing that revised curriculum to see if it complies with Florida law. A reminder here that AP classes are geared towards high schoolers, uh, and they're across the academic spectrum. AP classes in math, science, social studies, foreign languages, uh, AP European history, AP US history. The courses are optional, but they effectively teach high schoolers at a college level, and then there's an exam given. And if uh, the high schoolers uh, get a certain mark on that exam, at certain universities, they'll be offered college credit. So that's who these AP classes really impact here. Getting into some of the things they cut from the coursework or mandatory coursework to get approval in Florida, that includes readings and course units containing materials from Black authors associated with concepts that include Black feminism, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, and Black queer theory. Materials on modern racial topics, including, as I mentioned, the BLM movement, mass incarceration, reparations have also been significantly pared down, including they've eliminated a bunch of writers who have written about these subjects. So those are among the edits they've made to the mandatory coursework. Of course, this could be optional uh, if someone teaches the class uh, to try to get uh, Florida to allow it into classrooms there. The course is currently being tested at 60 schools across the country before it's uh, rolled out to more schools. The College Board has apparently been uh, working on this course for a number of years, has been getting input from teachers running pilot classes with the draft curriculum. Uh, These changes, though, are not going over well with everybody. The executive director of the National Black Justice Coalition was very disappointed here, saying to wake up on the first day of Black History Month to this news of effectively what he called horse trading, uh, essential parts of Black history, is infuriating. Nevertheless, we will see uh, how these changes play in Florida and and whether uh, this meets DeSantis' approval to teach the class in that state. On to presidential politics. While there is a lot of speculation that Florida Governor DeSantis will run for president, Nikki Haley could make it official before he does. From USA Today, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley will formally launch her 2024 presidential run on February 15th, becoming the first Republican to jump into the field to check to challenge Donald Trump. Haley teased her presidential run for weeks, including a tweeted video this week in which she said, it's time for a new generation to lead. So expect that announcement on February 15th in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, it appears she is ready to take on the wrath of Trump, uh, despite having served as his U.N. ambassador, had been close to him for a number of years. Uh, He now says she's being disloyal by running against him. Um, Either way, she is now officially the first Republican to get in the race besides Trump, who announced his candidacy back in November. Haley is currently 51 years old. Uh, She said recently, I think it's time for a new generational change. I don't think you need to be 80 years old to go be a leader in D.C., a knock on both Biden and Trump. Biden's 80. Trump would turn 80 during his next term in office if he was uh, reelected. Haley spent six years as the governor of South Carolina before being chosen to be the U.N. ambassador in the Trump administration. She's the daughter of Indian immigrants. Uh, It'll be interesting to see kind of where she falls in terms of her arguments or how she carves out a space for herself Right now, in the Republican primary system, you have Ron DeSantis, who's the full-on culture warrior. We talked about that in the last story. You then have Trump, who will want to continue some of the uh, policies he pursued in his last administration. And then you have Haley, who's sort of gone back and forth here. And uh, one of the knocks on her is 
Nobody really knows what she stands for. She has said in the past that the party should not be about owning the liberals, but then follows through with some of those things. On January 6th, she was very uh, critical of Donald Trump, saying he has no future in the party, but then she embraced him again. So we'll see sort of what policies she makes her initiatives here to try to uh, build a coalition. It will help that she is from South Carolina, which votes very early in the process and, and effectively helps determine who the Republican nominee is going to be. So if she remains popular there and can depend on voters down there, that'll be important to her. Speaking of which, there is one more candidate we're looking to, Jill, another South Carolina Republican, that is Senator Tim Scott. He announced on Wednesday that he is launching a Faith in America listening tour. Uh, Tim Scott, you might be familiar with him. He's the only black Republican in the U.S. Senate representing South Carolina. It's interesting, this uh, Faith in America listening tour will take place in South Carolina, his home state. Coincidentally, they vote early, as we said, and in Iowa, which is the first state that votes, the Iowa caucuses. Uh, And so he will be giving a major speech in Iowa on February 22nd. Most just quickly back to Nikki Haley. I've already been seeing on cable news. uh, She had said back in 2021 that she would not run in 2024 if President Trump were to decide to run again. So I'm curious how she's going to answer for changing that decision. Yeah, I mean, she's she's been making the uh, generational argument most recently. She did give a, a big interview to Fox News uh, in the last couple of weeks where she basically said without saying that she is running for president. Uh, but it, it does appear that people in the party see President Trump, former President Trump, as weaker, and that is empowering, it appears, more and more people to run against him. But it's certainly going to earn his wrath and his ire. And that's one of the reasons so many Republicans have avoided getting into this because they just don't want to have to deal with his effectively fire on a daily basis. The nicknames, the just it's abuse. All of it. <laughs> all of it. All of it. And they saw what happened in 2016 when he one by one took down Rubio, took down Jeb Bush, took down Chris Christie, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, he's going to come up with a nickname for Nikki Haley. He's going to go after her. How effective will it be? TBD. But, you know, it does take some guts here. She's first in here and she's going to, you know, at least take the, uh, the initial fire. From the Wall Street Journal, the Biden administration on Wednesday proposed a rule to limit late fees on credit cards put forward by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. It looks to lower penalties to $8 from as much as $41 for a missed payment. The Consumer Bureau saying it wants to put those new rules into effect by next year. This does not require congressional approval, by the way. These late fees are hugely profitable for these companies, Jill. Apparently, we Americans are paying $12 billion a year in late fees, and that does not even count interest rates. That's just the late fees here. Right now, uh, credit card issuers can charge $30 for your first late payment and then $41 for any other late payment within six billing cycles. Consumer groups have complained about this, and you see the White House acting here. According to the proposed rule, as you mentioned, they would cap these fees that are currently at 30 or 41 down to $8. Credit card companies could charge more if they prove that it was necessary to cover the cost of collecting that late payment. We'll see how they figure out a way to do that. Industry reps said the proposed rule would backfire and lead to an increase in late payments. I found this quote notable. They argue that by almost eliminating the fee, it would increase the number of late payments, which harms the creditworthiness of the consumer. So this is the way the credit card companies are trying to spin this. There is a comment period, what's called the comment period that takes place now. And you can expect some legal challenges here from the credit card companies. Uh, But they are hoping that if this rule is finalized, they can implement it next year. 
uh, which would decrease the amount of late fees. So watch watch this unfold. Either way, you know, one thing I found is if you ever make that mistake, especially if you're not a frequent late fee person, Jill, if you take a moment and call the credit card, oftentimes you can get them to waive the late fee for you. The mode you know. From ESPN, Tom Brady says that he is retiring from football for good this time, ending a storied 23-year NFL career during which the star quarterback won seven Super Bowls and set numerous records. Brady, who is 45 years old, announced that decision Wednesday on social media. This is his second retirement. Last February, he also said that he was retiring before changing his mind 40 days later and returning to play this past season with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Let's take a quick listen to his most recent announcement. I uh, won't be long-winded. You only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year. So uh, really thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me, my family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors. Uh, I could go on forever. There's too many. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. Getting a little emotional there, Mosh. Yeah, sitting on the beach, uh, but got straight to the point, which I appreciate this time. Though I will say again, such a missed opportunity not to do this on Groundhog Day. <laughs> and there's a lot of people who are like, I won't believe it till I see it. Let's at least wait 40 days to see if he can actually make this retirement stick. ESPN reports that Brady informed the Bucks of his decision early on Wednesday morning. They tweeted their appreciation for Brady with the hashtag thank you Tom caption. Notably, Brady's ex-wife, supermodel Giselle, uh, also wished him well, commenting on his social media post, wishing you only wonderful things in this new chapter of your life, along with a prayer hands emoji. Brady and Giselle divorced in October, reportedly partially due to the fact that he retired last year and then went back to the game, uh, but they have continued to focus on co-parenting their children. Uh, Brady, as you mentioned, storied career, 35 postseason wins, the most of any player ever. He's the NFL's all-time leader in passing touchdowns, yards, completions, seven Super Bowls, six of them with the Patriots, the MVP three times. And as we told you today, he's retired twice. So we'll see <laughs> see if that sticks. As a uh, Chicago Bulls fan growing up, I think Michael Jordan retired three times at some point. He retired in 93. 98 and it came back as a wizard so uh if brady wants to at least tie michael jordan he needs to come back one more time with another team and retire again one thing we talked about uh last year during the sam bakeman freed ftx uh situation jill was that giselle and brady had invested in ftx and we were like oh i wonder how much money they lost well just keep in mind brady looks like he's made just over 330 million dollars in his nfl career and next up he has an even bigger deal Fox Sports has given him a $375 million deal to be a football analyst. So he's set to make even more as a Fox Sports analyst than he ever made in football. Tom Brady and I overlapped uh, a bit at Michigan, actually, which I attribute to his success. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you were cheering on Tom Brady when he was playing for the Wolverines. Correct. In college. And then he gets drafted in like a very late round. Like he wasn't, you know, the, the, the he wasn't the Tom Brady that we know now when he was back in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's been told uh, many, many times, but he was he was drafted very deep in the NFL draft. They did not have high expectations for him. And yet he's gone on to the storied career. But Jill, we will give you we will give you partial credit <laughs> for Tom Brady's success. 
Okay, from Billboard, Beyonce announces 2023 Renaissance World Tour. She'll be playing 40 shows, kicking things off in Europe in Stockholm on May 10th. Her first stop in North America is July 8th in Toronto, and then she wraps things up on September 27th in New Orleans. The Renaissance Tour will be her first string of tour dates since her 2018 On the Run outing with husband Jay-Z and her first solo tour in more than six years. As we reported here, Beyonce did perform at a luxury resort in Dubai in front of influencers and journalists and was paid a cool $24 million for that performance. So the latest I'm reading, Jill, is that ticketing will begin on February 6th, starting with exclusive presale to Beehive members. So just in a few days. So we'll see how that goes and then see how Live Nation Ticketmaster are able to overcome the whole Taylor debacle, whether this will be a better situation for consumers. A reminder that Renaissance uh, went to number one on the Billboard charts last year. There were a number of top 10 hits, including Break My Soul. The album also got nine Grammy nominations, the most for any nominee. And the Grammys are this Sunday night in LA, uh, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And the big competition we're all going to be watching, and we can talk about more of this on uh, tomorrow's podcast, will be Adele versus Beyonce. I do think the Grammys are the best award show because it's kind of like a concert. The the best Grammys make you feel like it's a concert, as little talking as possible, as much music as possible. So uh, I will definitely be tuning in this year. But back to all these tour dates, I don't know if I'm the only one who feels this way, but it just seems like tickets for any of these shows that are going to be popular are just impossible to get. Obviously, we saw the debacle with Taylor Swift. I haven't even attempted mm-hmm. Madonna. A friend of mine messaged me and we wanted to go see Bruce Springsteen. And she's like, I, I can't even attempt to try to get tickets for New York. And I just think it's so sad that this is what it's come to, to try to just see your favorite artists perform live. It's, it's hard to get through past those bots and those ticket brokers, et cetera. I did get a note from somebody yesterday, Jill, uh, the John Mayer tickets were on sale, I guess, for his concert tour. And they actually found the process to be relatively easy. Again, that's one anecdote. Uh, but you definitely have to basically make it your job the day tickets go on sale and just like have multiple, you know, phones, laptops going to like try to get through. And then even then you're going to be, you know, paying a, an arm and a leg for some of these tickets. I feel like you and Alex are huge John Mayer stands. (laughs) (laughs) Alex is a huge John Mayer fan. She loves John Mayer so much. All right, Jill, that brings us to On This Day in History. I'm going to begin with a throwback, way throwback to 470 years ago. Happy 470th birthday to New York, sort of. On this day in 1653, the Dutch officially incorporated New Amsterdam as a city. That's what we were called for the first couple of decades. It would be Dutch for those first few years until the Brits show up and declare it for the Duke of York, uh, hence New York, the conversion from New Amsterdam to New York. Essentially, the people who are living, uh, and I say here because I'm, I'm here in Brooklyn, which just across the way, which was officially the Dutch Brooklyn and then became Brooklyn, whole separate podcast though, gave up New Amsterdam without a fight. Essentially, they were all there for the economy. They were all a bunch of traders. And they're just like, hey, war is bad for the economy. We're here to trade and do some business. If the Brits going to let us do our thing, whatever, let them take it over, call it New York. There's a guy named Peter Stuyvesant who basically managed New Amsterdam. He really wanted to fight the Brits. And the people living there were like, no, 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 no. Just let them have it. Call it New York. That's cool. Peter Stuyvesant. Of course, you've got Stuyvesant Town on the east side of Manhattan named for him. Um, And he is known for his one leg. He lost his leg in battle. And then there was the battle that he wanted to have against the Dutch. That's actually where he went, Jill, after the uh, Brits 
took over New Amsterdam and made it New York. Stuyvesant went up to the village. It was a village back then. It was all greenery uh, and had this huge piece of property where he lived out his days upset at what took place and the fact that the British now control things. And apparently there's a scene that I read in one history book where Stuyvesant is literally standing on the wall of Wall Street because that's how Wall Street started. It was literally a wall that separated the um, colony from the rest of the island. And he was standing on the wall being like, let's fight. And everyone's like, no, just let him have it. <laughs> if only other wars could be solved that way. Just by by, by the people nah. just saying, if they're going to be okay, just let them have it. Just let them have it. So uh, New Amsterdam becomes New York. Uh, and the entire region was called the New Netherlands. And it becomes New England. There you go. Okay, let's head now more to modern times. On this day, 33 years ago in 1990, the South African president at the time, F.W. de Klerk, officially lifted the 30-year ban on the African National Congress. It resulted in Nelson Mandela's release from prison and marked the beginning of the end for apartheid in South Africa. And finally, as we mentioned, today is Groundhog Day. The tradition started officially in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, back in 1887 on this day. Uh, we have the German immigrants who came to Pennsylvania to thank for it. Back in the old country, they were using a hedgehog. Here in America, couldn't find hedgehogs, but they found groundhogs, and we're using that to predict uh, the future of the weather. And we could thank them for one of my favorite movies, Groundhog Day. Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. All right, a couple celebrity birthdays today on February 2nd. Ina Garden is 75 years old. Funny quick story on her, Jill. Uh, we spotted her in line at a bakery in Long Island last summer. And my wife, Alex, was like, oh, my God, that is uh, Ina Garden. And for some reason, like I wasn't really paying attention, et cetera. And I was like, oh, let's say hello to her. And I yell out, Contessa, Contessa. <laughs> Did she turn around? She did turn around, but then Alex punched me in the arm being like, you're an idiot. What are you like? Why are you calling her contestant? I was like, I don't know. It just came to mind. Like, I know her name is Ina. Anyway, she was delightful. She was very nice, uh, despite the fact that I called her Contessa in line. Two other birthdays today. Christy Brinkley, the uh, model and officially Uptown Girl from the Billy Joel music video, is 69 years Uptown old today. Uptown Girl. That, I love Billy Joel and I love Christy Brinkley. 69 years old. Still and she look- still looks great. Looks amazing. And Shakira, Shakira, 49 today. Happy birthday, Shakira. Jill, one musical bit of history related to one of your favorite singers, Barbara Streisand. On this day, (laughs) 49 years ago, February 2nd, 1974, The Way We Were reached number one on the Billboard charts. Hi, I'm officially an old Jewish woman. (laughs) (laughs) Barbara Streisand, my mom mom would play her on repeat. When we weren't listening to Andrew Lloyd Webber in the minivan, or the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, we were uh, listening to Barbara Streisand. Me oh and Deborah Wanunu. Yes, you you and my mom would, could share playlists on Spotify <gasps> if, we, if, we, if we got her on Spotify. All right, everybody, that is a wrap. We want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Those reviews matter, so we are grateful to all of you for your support. Don't forget to also follow us, of course, over on Instagram at Mosh, at M-O-S-H-E-H, for the latest and greatest. Uh, And you can email us any feedback on this podcast over at podcast at mo.news. We'll see everyone back here tomorrow. Bye, everyone.